Amen. God is good all the time. God is so good, the presence of the Lord. I just feel like the Holy Ghost wants to tell somebody that he knows exactly where you're at. God knows exactly where you're at, and he has not forgotten about you. He has not forsaken you, and you have a purpose in this place, in this life, there is a plan and purpose. And sometimes we have to go through some pain in order to see that purpose. But there is a purpose in the pain also. Amen? Amen. God is so good. And as we're standing, if we turn to Matthew 25, verse 1. I would, Pastor Polson texted me this morning and said I was preaching the main service. And I said, Amen being a submissive saint that I am. And as I was studying for this, I'm like, because I don't teach. I'm not a good teacher. It's just, I mean, it's not that I can't because I believe I can. But as I'm studying, I'm like, this is going to be a really good uh, learning experience for me to teach and not preach. And here I am at 11 o'clock, supposed to preach. And I'm going to teach to you guys. Amen. Amen. But I don't think there's accidents in the kingdom of God. And God knows exactly what he was doing. Amen. Matthew 25, verse 1 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And just for a short time this morning, I do want to teach, preach on this. The bridegroom is coming. And you may be seated. The bridegroom is coming. And we read this portion of scripture and we see that Jesus is talking to the multitudes and his disciples and Jesus is stressing the importance of having a faithful and diligent relationship with him, with the bridegroom. Amen. Um, the virgins in this scripture are symbolic to the followers of Christ and, and the bridegroom represents Christ. And we know that we are the body of Christ that there will be a day that we are raptured up. And I'll tell you what, we're getting closer to that day every single day. The world is falling apart, but we are the bride of Christ. And, and this morning, I just want to illustrate the relationship we have with God and the importance of that relationship we have. Um, you know, I believe that we need to maintain the relationship that we have. Pastor talked about that at one time God delivered us all from something, one thing or another. And I, I we and you know this as much as I know that you must maintain that relationship and you must maintain that victory because if we don't, then we can get into a place of complacency and that's not a good place. So we maintain that victory, we maintain it. It's not always easy. And it doesn't always look like we think it should look, but it definitely, our relationship needs to be maintained because we are the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And, and I do just want to talk a little bit about how the Jewish marriages were conducted or just the engagement of it and the tradition of it uh, back in the day, how it was conducted. And, and there's various different forms of it and different teachings on it. And I'm not going to get too deep into it whatsoever, but I do want to illustrate something as I go through this. And, and I'm going to not go too deep because I'm not really a deep kind of person anyways. But if you want any questions, if you have any questions, 
Um, Brother Pete taught an amazing, amazing series on what I'm going to teach on. And I might even use some of his notes. I don't know, because I asked him to send me notes, and he sent me pages upon pages of notes. And I believe I do know what his notes were and what other people's notes were. But if you do want more knowledge on this, please go to our website. And Brother Pete had taught a series. And I don't know how long that series was, but it was very good. But talking on the Jewish marriage, um, it was very different than what we experience today. The woman really didn't have much say in who they were going to marry. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing at times. <laughs> But how it, would, how it would look is that the, the groom or the father of the groom would find a suitable wife for his son or the man would find a suitable wife for him. And in, during that process, uh, there was a man which was his best friend or a close friend and they would literally call him the friend of the bridegroom. And this man, once they found a, a wife that he wanted to marry, he would let the friend of the bridegroom know. And, and the, what the friend of the bridegroom would do is he would negotiate the terms of the marriage contract. Um, and some of this information I give you, like I said, um, some of it, there's so much out there that I kind of had to dissect it and pick and choose. So some of it might not be 100% the way it was. And it might have been that way somewhere else, but not this way somewhere. It was different. But the, the friend of the bridegroom, one of his jobs, he had a significant job. And one of them was to negotiate the terms of marriage on the contract, how they were going to give a dowry or the money that they were going to give for the, the bride. <clears throat> he would pers uh, preside at the wedding feast also. And he had one special duty uh, during this. It was the duty of a, the guard to guard the bridal chamber and to let no false lover in. He would open the door and only when in the dark he heard the bridegroom's voice, he recognized it. And when he heard the bridegroom's voice, he let him in and went away rejoicing for his task was completed and the lovers were together. Now, this is, this is so interesting and so cool is that the contrast that this has with our relationship and with the Bible, because there is the friend of the bridegroom in the Bible also, and John the Baptist was in scripture, he was the friend of the bridegroom. Arriving, uh, arriving before Jesus, he prepared the way of the Messiah. He preached the terms of the marriage, of the contract commanding all who wish to be the part of the bride must repent and be baptized, promising that the coming after him would be coming after him would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we read this in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh to the latcheth of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Somebody say fire. And it goes and it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of a woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we see this. We see this in the Bible. We see the friend of the groom, the bridegroom, as John the Baptist, according to Scripture. And he went and he prepared the way for Jesus. As a matter of fact, in John 1.29, John says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. He says, behold, the Lamb 
of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So we see this in, in, the, in the Jewish marriage uh, traditions and we see it in the Bible how John is that friend that goes preparing uh, the way and he's announcing that Jesus is coming and that he is the Messiah and then he goes and he even baptizes Jesus. And after, in, in, in Jewish marriage, after the bride is chosen, there is a price that they pay or a dowry or what they say in Hebrew, I, it's Mohar, M-O-H-A-R. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know. I'm not Brother Halloway. If I was, I'd make it sound really good and really smart. But it was a price that the groom would give the bride's family. And we look at this and we know that Jesus Christ is the groom. And we are the bride. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, didn't he? On Calvary. He purchased our salvation with the blood of the Lamb. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when he will see, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. I'm here to tell you that he paid a price. He paid that price for us that money could not buy, silver could not buy. He was bare, he was bruised for our iniquities, the Bible says. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And we have access to these promises because Jesus Christ, as the bridegroom, paid that price for us. That's how much he loved us, that he paid that price for us. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That brings us hope. Us being Gentiles, through de- we have access to the blessings of Abraham because of Jesus Christ. Because he adopts us and we call him Abba Father. And we have access now into the holiest of holies. We have access into his presence where we can come, where we're hurting and we're lost. But there are some requirements for us to enter in. We just don't enter into the holiest of holies. There was a process in the tabernacle to enter into that holy of holies. And in the world that we're living in, people just want it really quick. They want a microwave relationship. They want to feel the presence of God instantly. And, I, and it does happen. We do have access to God. And sometimes you feel the goosebumps and, and, and you, you get the instant results. But other times you have to work for it. But he paid that price. And in Jewish marriages, after they paid that price, the friend of the bridegroom was there and they would make an agreement. And they, they would let them know how much they were going to pay. So after that purchase agreement, if you'd want to call it that, 
they were considered married. They were considered husband and wife. And then there was gifts that were given to the bride. The groom would bring the presents and they would give them gifts to the bride. After this, the bride was declared to be consecrated and sanctified, set apart for her bridegroom. Now, this is very significant because the type and shadow here is that we enter a covenant relationship with Christ after we apply the blood of the Lamb to our lives in baptism. We repent of our sins and we get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins and then we receive the Holy Ghost. But there's a covenant relationship that happens. There's an agreement. There's vows that are taken through death through his part, richer or poor, that we're going to stay faithful and we're going to stay committed. And anybody that is here that's married, you've had to go through those vows. Standing in front of your bride or your groom and you would sit there and you look at each other's eyes and, and you would tell them your vows and how you're never going to leave them. You're going to be there even when they're sick. You're going to be faithful. You're going to never leave them. And this is the relationship we have with God also. Is once we are married, we are in an agreement, a covenant relationship, a covenant agreement with God, just like we are in our marriage. And just as, just as much as we want to stay faithful in our marriage and be a good spouse and, and do those things and, and do the... Listen, I love Christmas, okay? And since my wife and I have gotten married, every year... We have an argument during this time of the year, and it is to put up the Christmas tree. And I have fought tooth and nail for years upon years, but she does not fight fair. She, so as soon as we start getting kids, she would ride, she'd get the kids together, and she would tell them, they'd get them in a circle and tell them, hey, Christmas tree, Christmas. And they would start chanting this around the house. All before we even have a turkey Thanksgiving. And for years I'd fight it. And then I started to get outnumbered when I had three little ones jumping up and down. Christmas tree, Christmas tree. And then I would have to give in, go up to the attic, get the Christmas tree down, get the 12 totes of Christmas decorations, pack up the fall decorations, put them in the attic, and then we would decorate. Well, I don't decorate. There's an agreement that we made. There was a covenant that we made. If I do this, I'm not decorating. If I take everything out down from the attic and put all the fall decorations back up, I get to sit back and relax and watch you guys decorate. But this year was a little bit different. This year, I actually went out and purchased a Christmas tree yesterday for her because I was going to beat the rush and I was going to beat the begging and the pleading of putting up the Christmas tree early. But the reason why I said that is this, is the reason why I do that is because I love her. Is because I love her. And I love my children. And, and we have a covenant and we have a relationship. We have a bond that's deeper than any bond I've ever had with anybody before. She knows when I'm mad. I know when she's mad. You don't even have to say it. We have a connection together. So I went and bought a Christmas tree. And I went there and I bought the biggest and the best Christmas tree I could find. And you know what happened? 
It was too big. She said, we don't need a 12 foot. A 10 foot would be perfect. So I got mad. <laughs> Men, sometimes you just can't win, okay? But I know that I just kept my mouth shut and I went and I bought a 10 foot Christmas tree and it worked out. But I did that because I love her. And that love has been there for 13 years. And we've worked on it. We went through things. We've went through times of crying and we went through times of laughing and went through times of argument and fussing and, and joking around with each other. But at the end of the day, that's my wife and I want to please her. I want to please her. Is there days I wake up and I don't want to do anything? Absolutely. Is there days I just want to be lazy and sit on the couch? Yes. But I know if I do that, I'll get in trouble. So my love pushes me to do things for her. And the type and shadow, what I want to reveal today is that's the same way our relationship with God should be. You know, with our spouse, we take those vows, but how much more? And I'm not downgrading marriage whatsoever, but I'm just saying we're married to Christ also. And how much more should I want to be pleasing to Christ? How much more do I want to be? And I'll tell you, there's things that God wants us to do that pleases him. Right. Worship and, and, and getting in his word and communicating and, and having that intimate relationship with him. And him instilling his word into you, birthing things in you. And prayer, that communication, that fellowship that he wants so dearly and he's willing to do anything for. But sometimes we just kind of brush it off. Yeah, he'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here tomorrow. It's okay. And all the while, my vial is lacking oil. And I'm depending on other, oh man, I feel the Holy Ghost. And I'm depending on other people's marriages to get me through my relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times where this will happen and it's natural. But then there's times where you must grow and your vial must be full of the Holy Ghost. Okay, I mean, out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. And if we're connected to the source, our vows should be overflowing with his spirit. Okay, I, I, I don't want to have to rely on my brother's walk with God and his intimate relationship with God to get me through something. Although the Bible does say we need to weep with those that weep and we need to rejoice with him that rejoice. But if my relationship with God is my relationship with God. It's not my brothers or my sisters or my mothers or my best friends. It's my relationship. And there comes a time in all of our Christian walk that we need to build that relationship and remember the covenant and the vows when we went water down in the waters of baptism that we made with him. We do it with our marriage. We ought to do it with Jesus. So much more we ought to do it. Because we are married with him. So we should consecrate ourselves and separate ourselves from the things of the world and be sanctified Unto him. This is, this is scriptural. This is scriptural. But when we enter that covenant relationship, God desires that. And this is why we don't believe and we don't preach a once saved, always saved message. Because just because we have married the king of kings does not mean that I'm done 
and I got it all figured out, and that's all I need to do. Actually, it means that I'm held at a higher standard than this world, and I have a higher commitment with God. See, in the Jewish ancient times when they would do this, they'd be husband and they'd be wife, but the groom would leave and go prepare a living chambers either at his father's house for his soon-to-be bride or somewhere else. And before he would do that, they would put this silver bracelet on the bride. And in this silver bracelet, not also was it a covenant and a relationship, but it was signifying that she was taken. Matter of fact, if a man would come and talk to her, a single man would come and talk to her, that penalty would be death because she was taken. So it was taken very, very seriously, but... When we make that relationship with God, we need to abstain ourselves from this world. We don't need to let the world pollute us and taint us. We need to have that covenant relationship with God and be careful who we're talking to and be careful what we're doing. We do it in our marriage. We put up safeguards and we do these things. We wear a wedding ring. And this bracelet was not a representation of a wedding ring. Okay, I'm not preaching that and I'm going to go there. But I'm just saying that we have that commitment with God also. We do it in our marriage and how much more should we do it with our bride, our groom bride. So then when the agreement's made, the bride puts on the bracelet. The bride goes, or excuse me, the groom goes and prepares a house for his newly bride. And this is exactly what scripture talks about in John 14, 2, when it says, in my father's house, Jesus says, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place here, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And this is where we're living today. Hear me, this is the, and the relationship we're at with God is this right now. He has left, he's up in heaven, he's preparing a place for us because his coming is very soon. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour. But as the bride, we ought to be sanctified and separated from this world. And we got a mark on us. When we went down the waters of baptism, that marked us and he fills us with his spirit evidence of speaking with tongues, that promise, that comforter. It gives us comfort as we're waiting for our groom to come. As life happens and time goes on and and it's not all a bed of roses at times, the comforter, he released his spirit to us and gave us access to it. The promise, the comforter, the peace, the joy and the rest so we wouldn't get anxious while we're waiting for him. And if we can get into his presence and be spiritually intimate with him and be filled continually with his spirit. But there is coming a time that he's going to come. And we are living in these days. And and now there comes the bride, groom. He, He goes, he prepares a place, and then he comes back. 
And at the end of the period of the separation of the groom would come to take his bride and live with him. The taking of the bride usually took place at night. The groom, best man, and other male escorts would leave the groom's, groom's father's house and conduct a torchlight procession to the home of the bride. We're the bride, church. Although the bride was expecting her groom to come for her, she did not know the exact time of his coming. As a result, the groom's arrival would be preceded, preceded by a shout, and this shout would forewarn the bride to be prepared for the coming of the groom. And Paul, or excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, excuse me, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we are patiently waiting for Christ's return. And we need to be diligent, like I said, and so aware of what's going on in our life. And what we've got to be so diligent, and we have to have our guard up, what we're allowing into our life. And we have to remind ourselves of the relationship and the agreement we took in this marriage. That death through his part, through sickness or poor, and, there, and listen, there's going to be hard times. Matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy, and 4 or 5, he says, But watch thou, thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Beloved, living for God is the greatest thing you will ever do in your life. But sometimes... It feels like it's just a fight. That's a good place for an amen. Sometimes it just feels like it's a battle and it's a fight. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I have fought a good fight. Listen, if you think it's going to be easy and it's not going to be hard, let me just tell you right now, you're going to have to endure some things and you're going to have to fight some battles. But it's for a purpose and it's for a cause. It's to get us strong. It's to extract the things in us that he doesn't like. It's like the trying of our faith being much more precious than of gold. He refines us. And then Paul says, I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. Church, we have to keep the faith in God. We cannot get weary in well-doing. We cannot just put God on the back burner. We cannot be too busy for him. We, can't, we cannot afford to be too distracted for God. We are living in unprecedented times. And I know we've heard this before, but it is true. We are living in unprecedented times. And he is coming back for his bride. The bridegroom is coming back. And Jesus lets us know in Revelation 3.15, he says, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. There is no room in the kingdom of God for being lukewarm. 
Oh, we need to be faithful. We need to be a faithful spouse. We need to have dedicated our life to Jesus. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1 through 42, I will not read it, but it is a beautiful illustration of what God had brought us out of and how he washes us and redeems us. But then it goes on and tells how we turn our back on him and we go and we become harlots. And he's talking about Israel and he's prophesying to Israel how they would <laughs> go and, and I think we were, they were talking about how he was born and I would, as soon as the baby was born, it was thrown in the wilderness with the umbilical cord and the placenta attached to it, thrown out in the forest to die. And how our Savior comes and cleans us up and washes us, washes the blood off and takes away all that and nourishes us and, and, and goes there and he, and he raises us up. But then it continues and it says, Israel, listen, you turned your back on that. And you become a harlot to your enemies. And to the ones I delivered you from, now you're worship, worshiping them and you're sleeping with them. And this is what I do not want to do with God, is that he redeems me and I get washed in his blood and I have this relationship, but then I turn my back on him. And what that looks like in God's eyes is you're cheating on him. And I'm not trying to be like, I'm, I guess I am. I'm blunt. I'm trying to be blunt. I'm trying to paint a very good picture here that when we go to the world and we do the things that God has delivered us from, or we do things that we know we ought not to do, we're being unfaithful to our groom. We're being unfaithful. We are committing adultery with them. We would never think about doing that in our marriage, would we? Then why would we think about it with God? And this is what I really feel like the Holy Ghost wants to speak to us about today is, is I don't know what anybody's going through, but I feel like the Holy Ghost is just speaking to us and saying, please do not commit adultery. Do not fornicate with the world. Stay faithful to me because I'm coming and it's going to be quickly. It's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. I'm going to be here. And this is what scares me. This is right here. Is unfortunately, there will be some that have not been faithful and that are not ready for his coming. Because if you read the rest of the verse that we open up with in Matthew 25, it reads, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil on their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the, un to the unwise, oh, excuse me, the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. <laughs> we can't buy no oil. 
We can only be filled up by the creator. And this is one thing that I've learned is that there's always going to be people that want what you have but are not willing to work for it. They're not willing to do what you did to get it, but they want what you have. And my prayer this morning is I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that wants the anointing that pastor has or the anointing that Doug has and the relationship that Doug has and and the prayer life that Brother Chuppy has, but I'm not willing to do what it takes to have it. I don't want to live in the what ifs. Because 50% of the virgins were not ready. But there's hope for us today because Jesus has not come back yet. Let's all stand. There is hope because Jesus says he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And we all have access to this beautiful marriage with Jesus Christ. And maybe you have applied the death, burial, and resurrection to your life. And if you have not, I encourage you that you would find a place of repentance here this morning, that you would cry out to God, you would lay on your face, or, or you would come up here humbly and you would surrender everything to God and say, God, listen, I need you and I'm desperate for you. Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a lifestyle and it's a commitment to God that I'm going to change my direction and I'm going to take these vows and I'm not going to be espoused to the world anymore. I'm going to be married to Christ. And then you go down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and get your sins forgiven so we can enter into the kingdom of God. And the, God, and the Bible says that he will, we shall receive the Holy Ghost. But maybe you're here and you've done that. But your spiritual marriage isn't what you want. We go to marriage retreats. We go to counseling to strengthen our marriage. I'm telling you right now, you want counseling in your marriage with God. We have an altar here right now. And if you want to renew those vows and commit your life to him again, and you've been doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, going places and looking, looking at things and listening to things that you know you shouldn't be, and you know you've been unfaithful to them, listen, God's merciful. He's rich in mercy. And he longs not only to forgive you of your sins, but he longs for a relationship with you. And he wants you to come to him right now with a heart of humility and surrender and say, God, I am so sorry for what I've done, but I want a relationship. I need a relationship with you. I'm desperate for you. If that is your prayer this morning, I open these altars. And I invite you to come and just lay everything down that you have. You might have been unfaithful, but God is here. And he's bidding you to come. Because he is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That we would change our direction and we would start walking and start becoming faithful to him again. And just like pastor preached this morning on forgiveness, Jesus will forgive. But my question is, can you forgive yourself? And if you have that humble spirit, 
saying, God, help me to forgive myself. I believe that God will give you the strength to do that this morning. So come and pray. Thank you, Jesus. I seek your face alone. 